You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas This Week. You're listening to episode 132. Hey, Jake, it's our first Friday Q&A. It is. You know what that means, guys? Yep, and we got it pretty close to Friday, other than two weeks after, like we've done in the past. <laughs> so you guys know the drill. You guys write in questions, and we hopefully answer them. Yeah, and before we get into that, Jake, real quick, if you want to support the show, do us a favor, leave us a review. It's the easiest, best way to support the show. We don't ask for money. We don't ask for you to come help us load stuff in the back of the car. Just leave us a review on iTunes. Simple, easy, quick. Please do it. Now let's get to the questions. Cool. First question is from Anonymous. They are a chemical engineer at a large independent refiner. They write, hey guys, love the show. I'm a chemical engineer and work for one of the independent refiners. I absolutely love my job, my company, and the industry as a whole. However, I'm at the start of my career. I graduated in 2014 and worry about the long-term outlook for refining in the U.S. I have 35 to 40 more years of work and I'm worried about building a career in an industry that may be struggling in the next 10, 20, 30 years. The discussion on oil and gas outlook seems optimistic, but when looking at natural gas demand and petrochemical feedstocks, but where does refining fit into the future? All of the majors seem to be divesting their refining assets and point to natural gas and LNG as the fuel of the future. Even if there are still strong demand for jet fuel and diesel in the future, around 50% of the refinery output is gasoline. If this demand drops substantially, won't that trigger a significant number of refinery closures? Should I leave refining and move, uh, try to move to petrochemicals, midstream, or natural gas processing? Man, what a great question. I mean, this is really a good question. So... Let me answer this two different ways. Number one, if you have an interest in petrochemicals, I would start looking at that, but your job's not going to go away in your lifetime. So what's going on is you're starting to see the faster adoption of electrical automobiles. Electricity and automobiles makes a lot of sense in a certain piece of the market, right? You get rid of a transmission. You have 100% of your torque at one RPM. You can use the regenerative brakes to capture that kinetic energy instead of dumping it as heat like we do now in our cars. You can use it to regenerate electricity. So there's a lot of efficiencies, but only in the short driving range. Longer driving range doesn't make sense. And one of the things that we need is new battery technology. And there's a lot of people looking at that. But what's happening is electric cars are for the wealthy. And, and I know the electric car companies will argue with me about this, but if they're subsidized, then people that aren't wealthy can afford them. If they're not, only wealthy people can have them. What's happening globally is we're pulling the world out of an agrarian society, so they're basically subsistence farmers, into the modern world, and they're going to want cars. And the internal combustion engine is not going anywhere. In fact, it's going to grow. There's expected internal combustion engine to grow almost double in size by 2022 because the people right now that don't have cars – that will want to buy cars in China and India and everywhere else are going to buy an internal combustion engine car because modern internal combustion engines run very efficiently. They're very low emissions and they're much cheaper to operate and to build than an electric vehicle as of now. And so what we see happening is the refining capacity of the U.S. is going to start being exported at somewhere in the future. Not all of it because we'll always have internal combustion engines uh, in the U.S. But that export is a new business. So you go from a captive market, which is basically the U.S., to a global market because we actually can refine crude into gasoline better than anybody else on the planet. And we can export it. We're, we're, we've been doing it for years now, and I think that's just going to grow. And the need for jet fuel will also continue to grow. You will not see an electric commercial airline. The physics don't make sense, right? You have to have something that has much more 
power to much better power to weight ratio than batteries and electric motor and jet fuels the the the, the answer there same way with marine transportation you will see marine transportation start moving over to LNG but bunker and creosote and crude oil I mean not crude and what's the word I'm looking for Anyway, whatever the oil is they um, they burn in maritime, that's going to continue to grow as well. So you're not your job's not going to disappear. It may change in the business of your refinery may start exporting more refined gasoline than it's ref, than it's exporting now. And I actually expect the refining part of the downstream in the U.S. the actual gasoline manufacturers to actually grow as we move forward in time because the rest of the world's going to have an appetite for gasoline. So I wouldn't worry about changing jobs because you, your job may disappear in 20 or 30 years. It won't. I just think petrochemicals is more interesting than, than, than refineries. But but you know, you're know you good either way. So hopefully, Anonymous, that, that helps you. Up next, we had a question from John Bertrand. He's a manager at Halliburton. He writes, really great show, guys. One of my direct reports told me about your show, and I've been a listener ever since. Your audio quality has gotten much better, and I like the Jake much better than the previous co-host. My question is, can we ever expect you to release shows on a regular basis, like every Thursday or something? If not, it's okay. Keep the awesome work. It's so funny. Jake and I were just talking about this before we got on the microphone. We're working on it. Jake and I are both extremely busy. Jake's working on his second startup. You know, I have my own consulting business, my own speaking gig, plus trying to get all these podcasts stood up. So it's really hard for us to release stuff on a regular basis. And and we want to thank our audience for putting up with us, both our existing audience that's been listening to us for a long time and our new listeners. We are working to get it more regular. We're not there yet, but I promise you we're aware of this, just like the audio quality. We knew the audio quality wasn't up to the standards that we wanted, and it took us a little while, but we found a solution. We're going to do the same thing here. We promise you it's somewhere in the future, and we won't commit to when that is, but somewhere in the future, you can expect us to release regularly every week. Promise. Just give us a little bit of time. And thanks for, for putting up with us. Uh, next, we have a question from Sarah Williams. She's an analyst at McKinsey. What do you two think the next 10 years will bring for the super majors? And have you ever thought about doing a meetup group? We have an entire floor that are fans of the show, and it would be fun and valuable to get together every quarter or so and talk about our industry. I'll buy Mark a bottle of Malbec <laughs> if you can make this happen. Love you guys. Thank you for the offer to buy me a bottle of Malbec. She must pay more attention to the show than, than I thought she does. Anyway, <laughs> I love McKenzie. Um, I swear sometimes they steal our stuff, but that's okay. We love them anyway. The super majors in the future, that's, that's a really good question. So the super majors came about because hydrocarbons were in a scarce environment, right? We didn't know where they were. They were hard to get out of the ground. They were expensive. So you needed this almost military type of command and control organization to be able to make to maximize global reach, to maximize the adoption of new technology, to negotiate the lowest prices, whether that's a lease in some country somewhere or what you're paying for steel. But all that is changing. So we're no longer in a hydrocarbon scarce world. The ability to do exploration is no longer a differentiator. The technology has gotten so good that anybody, a one-man operator can do as, and I know Exxon, you're going to argue with me on this, but let's just say we're close. That a one-man operation can do E&P pretty darn good compared to a huge organization. Mega projects are no longer the only way to grow. It used to be that it was the only way to grow, to have, to have these mega projects, these huge fields, all this CapEx money. And now, you know, if you think about what's going on in the market, the the opportunities might be the ones there that are earliest movers in a basin. I mean, look at the people that first moved into Permian. It wasn't the big, the super majors. So, you know, and you got things like the unconventionals, you got deep water, you got the conventionals, all of those require a different operating model. 
And, and it used to be all that was under one single corporate center, right? And that's the, the power of the super majors. I think that's going away. I think you could see smaller, more nimble operators capture pieces of the market. that, And then I think that you could see the super majors not go after everything and stay in their core competencies, which are big, complex, expensive developments. You know, and, and you're looking at, you know, the changes in technology, that's a disruption right there with the super majors. Look at the changes in talent. You know, once again, that's a disruption for the super majors. Look at the uh, the use of data once again. And then things like demographic shifts. You know, we talk about this a lot on the show, but this new workforce that's coming in oil and gas aren't going to want to work for a super major for 30 years. And that was their old way of, of making sure they had good talent is they offered good jobs. They offered employment, continuing employment, I mean, employment, education. And and they kind of grew their own talent internally, and that's just not going to work anymore. This new young workforce is going to want to move around, and they're not going to work want to work for a company just because it's super and it's large, and they know they have job security. They're going to want to work for a company that makes a difference, and even if the company makes a difference, they're still going to want to try different things out there. So I think you put all that together, and I think the advantages that the super majors have had are going to be diminished, and I, I think you can see smaller, more nimble companies take pieces of business and make it very profitable in ways that the Exxons and the BPs and the Chevrons and Total just can't move quick enough to do. Yep. Cool. Yeah, that's Good it, Jay. Yep. yep. <laughs> okay. All right. Up next, we got a question from Emily Wright. She is a retired devil dog like ourselves. She writes, Simplified devil dogs. I keep hearing uh, how the oil and gas industry loves veterans, but I'm having a hard time uh, getting my foot in the door. I'm starting to believe that my MOS 1302, which is a combat engineer officer, has no value in the civilian world. Any direction you can provide will be greatly appreciated. Keep rocking the microphone. You have tons of fans in the USMC. I, you know, Jake, I never thought of us having fans in the core. That's, I, I think that's kind of cool and kind of scary at the same time. <laughs> Do you remember your MOS? Uh, yes, 2841. Mine was 0621, radio operator. Anyway, so before I get into this, I reached out to Emily, and and I think I'll be able to help her out. Her problem was, Jake, is she was d- dependent on the resources in the Marine Corps to help her find a job. And and nothing against those guys that volunteer their time to help people that are exiting, you know, find a civilian job. They're just not as plugged in as somebody like me or you or whatever. So if you're in the armed services, regardless of what branch, what your job was, your MOS, may or may not help you get a job in the civilian world. And, and I don't know how it was when you were in, Jake. But when I went in, I had no choice. <laughs> you, you you take the testing and they tell you what your MOS is. You, it's you don't the same have, way now. Yeah. So even if you had, a, since you don't have a choice, it doesn't really matter. I think the same traits that make you a good leader in the in the military or in the Marine Corps also are very valuable in the job force. You just have to be able to explain that to people and show them how you're able to do that. Things like strategic thinking, a leadership, the ability to motivate a group of people the ability to follow process and procedure, all that stuff is very valuable in the workforce, especially in oil and gas. And and Emily, the oil and gas industry loves veterans, loves people who serve in the military. But do you have the ability to articulate that once you get out? And that's what I see a lot of people that, that are career, they're so used to being told what their next job assignment is. And they're so used to being able to show that they are able to do that because they do what's supposed to happen. They have a hard time articulating that in the civilian world. So, you know, in this case, she was a combat engineer. She has a degree in engineering, Jake, and she has practical experience. It literally was, it was a handful of phone calls for me to connect with the right person. The problem was she didn't understand how to navigate, like who, who has an interest in the, in those people that could lead an engineering team. And it's, it's actually has nothing to do with engineering. It has to do with the operations side 
of the oil and gas industry because the operations side, the ones that have metrics they have to hit, they have to hit certain milestones, start dates of projects, all that sort of stuff. And which by the way, audience don't, I'm not your personal job service. You know, I, I did this for Emily as a favor. You know, she's a sister, but if you, if you want some general help, if you're struggling out there, reach outside of the recruiting branch of, of whatever uh, uh, branch you're in and, and reach out to some people in the civilian world already. There's a bunch of really good assets out there. If you spend some time on LinkedIn of recruiters that work for the actual oil and gas industry, so not independent recruiters, but recruiters that work for Chevron, BP, Total, Halliburton, Slimmerjay, blah, 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 who have a specific interest in military. And if you reach out to those people on LinkedIn, it'll go a long, long way. Great question, Emily. Up next, I got a question from Fred Jones. He's a marketing manager at a small oil field service company. Uh, he writes, we keep spending the same amount of money on exhibiting at oil and gas trade shows, but every year we drive less and less results. The VP of sales has tasked us to fix this and to start driving more quality leads. Uh, myself and my team are frustrated and have tried everything. Giveaways, cocktail misters, paid advertising, and even PPC on social media. Nothing has worked. Any ideas or suggestions? Stop all of that. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? Fred. Yeah. So Fred, it's funny you asked this question. So 20 years ago when I got started in the industry, and actually it's been longer than 20 years. I just don't like to admit that. But trade shows were super valuable because it was the only place you could go and learn. So you would go to a trade show for, you know, Valve World, right? And so you could go there and you could meet every vendor of every type of valve, gate valves, valve valves, you know, high pressure, low pressure, high temperature, low temperature in one place. And companies like Chevron would go there and they would bring POs and they literally would buy millions of dollars worth of stuff on that trade show floor. Why? Because they could go in one place in one day and meet every valve vendor in the world or every valve vendor was important, right? You fast forward to now. Nobody wants to do that anymore. Nobody wants to take a day or two off work, uh, have to expense off hotel and food, you know, travel somewhere. If Now, if you want to learn about valves, you just go online. And in five minutes, you learn everything you want without having to go somewhere and learn. So the internet has changed the value of trade shows. So I would tell you, instead of trying to drive more more results at the trade shows, stop it. I mean, literally just stop. You, you still may want to attend, but stop exhibiting. Stop spending that money. Step back, look at how much money you're spending, you know, put it all together in a bucket. And that's your bucket to do other stuff to actually drive sales leads. Because remember, what's happening is the VP of sales is on your butt to drive sales leads. And you keep trying to do it at a trade show and, and you're having diminishing returns. And I promise you, Fred, I don't care what you do, you will continue to have diminishing returns. You can, the pay-per-click, that pay-per-click on social media may be useful. It may not. You really have to know what you're doing. And, and please don't take this the wrong way, Fred, just based upon... Your question, I really suspect you're not a PPC expert or anybody on your team, and it's so easy to waste money doing that. I think you're better off, number one, if you're a small off-field service company, figure out where your prospects go, right? Where do they spend time? And if it's a conference or an expo or something, instead of trying to put a booth up, get on the speaking circuit, right? So you're an all-field service company, and, and I'm suspecting you're probably upstream all-field service company. You know, what's going on in the industry right now that you can talk about that somehow affects, that touches your business? Uh, one of which right now, because so they're still in a low crude price environment, is efficiencies. Is there something your small all-field service company can do to help an operator with efficiencies? If there is, write an abstract on it, submit it to the conferences that you know your prospects will at, and then speak about it. It. And let's say, and I'm going to make this up, Fred, so don't follow this verbatim, but let's say that your off-field service company can reduce completion time by two days, right? That means that they go and 
a production two days earlier. What's two days of production worth to an operator? It's worth a lot. So if you gave a speech, if you talked about how you can increase completion by two days and go in production, everybody that will come listen to you at that conference has an interest in that, which is increasing efficiency. You know, you're going to, you're doing, you're shortening the completion time by two days, which means that everybody's listening to you is a potential high valuable prospect for what your company does. So I think that's the first place to start. You could get into content marketing, which, which we do a lot of. That's another learning curve for you. But I, I don't know about you, Jake. I mean, Patrick disagrees with this, but I, I say quit exhibiting at trade shows. Yeah, I would say keep attending and probably less exhibiting just because looking at the the pure cost of exhibiting at something like NAPE when you're spending, I don't know, 14, 15, 20, it could be, you know, $50,000 for a booth uh, on top of the cost of the actual building of the booth itself. It is very, very expensive, especially if you're a small, truly are a small oil field service company. I think the problem that I'm seeing here is that you're treating marketing like advertising and you're thinking about it in that way of just putting up putting up banners and saying, come to us, come to us, come to us, uh, rather than thinking about marketing in the way that marketing is in 2017, which is essentially content marketing. And there's a million different types of content, but you have to become the the leader for providing the people who are your customers with the educational tools to hopefully make the right decisions. And hopefully that decision of who they should use is you guys. And that's how you have to strategically position yourselves. Position yourself as, as experts at what you do, regardless of what size that you are. Yeah, if uh, Fred, if you um, go to Google or Bing or whatever you use and type in oil and gas sales experts, that's oil and gas sales experts, you'll see us come up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten in Google organically. I'm not paying for that. Google sincerely believes I'm the number one oil and gas sales expert on the planet. And I'm seen as the leader in that, which means I'm not seen as a vendor. And it's a totally different sales conversation than when you're seen as a vendor. People don't beat you up on price. They can't because you're the expert. So, um, Take a look at that. Learn content. Mark Jake's right. Longer term, line content marketing is the way to do, but you have to learn how to do it properly. And actually, Jake, if Fred wants some help with that, he should reach out to Patrick Pister, huh? Yes, you should. Yeah, Patrick is good. Really, really good at what he does. So, I mean, he would be my my number one go to guy. He's helped me out with things in the past, and plus, he's got a lot of clients that he's working with currently that he's driving a lot of results for. So, yeah, reach yeah. out to Patrick. At least have a conversation at least. Yeah, he's from the oil field, so he's not a marketing guy. He was an oil field guy. He actually worked for major drilling contractors that later learned digital marketing. So yeah, Fred, reach out to Patrick and at least have a conversation with him. And Patrick owes us something if he gets business out of this. A bottle of Malbec. <laughs> bottle of Malbec. You don't drink though, Jake, do you? Uh, I've been known to drink a little bit. A little I mean, bit? You can't, okay. you can't be a Marine and not drink. Right. But you don't drink wine, do you? No, 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 no. no I don't really drink yeah. wine that much. I mean, I like it, but it's, it, it's hangover city. Yeah. I'm getting too old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next question. All right. Last question is from Bart Simone. He's a senior IT implementation specialist, I'm guessing, uh, from PBF Energy. Greatest podcast out there that makes a Mark and Jake's experience and or Mark's experience and Jake's fresh take on everything really makes this entertaining and viable to listen to on my commute. Funny and educational at the same time. Great work, fellows. Here's my question. Do you think eventually enterprise systems will disappear in oil and gas as technology gets more dynamic, cheaper, self-protecting slash repairing, and smaller, more nimble technology vendors will take their place? Yes. That's Ooh, what a good question. Yeah. They're, uh, so like the, the dinosaurs, the super large SAPs and oracles and stuff like that are definitely already on their way out. And we're seeing that the companies who realize that now or have been able to avoid lengthy, you know, hundred million dollar contracts uh, are definitely ahead of the power curve. It is hard to say, like if, if, if a company of say like PBF size was, 
you know, 100% using something like SAP, it becomes so ingrained in your business that it is hard to necessarily replace. But there are, we're starting to see a lot of adoptions for a lot of smaller, more nimble technology vendors, like you mentioned, that are coming in and, and rapidly changing the way that these companies do business. Uh, and for the better, you know, they're bringing Silicon Valley tech to, you know, to the oil field. And they're doing it in a way that, you know, I guess one of the, the analogies that I like to make, you know, especially doing a small startup myself is, you know, jet skis can whip around really fast and, and large boats turn very, very slowly. And, you know, companies like SAP and Oracle, you would imagine that with, you know, having a staff of, you know, thousands, if not tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, they would be able to churn out some of the best solutions in the world. And unfortunately, you talk to anybody who actually uses their stuff and that's not really the case. Why that is, I'm not really sure. I just, you know, I think it's it's just hard for them to really uh, connect with the customers and understand exactly what they need. Whenever you can deal with a smaller shop of maybe, you know, maybe it could be a company of ten to fifteen guys who are just really, really good at, you know, putting out some great technology to help, you know, drive results at, at whatever it may be for your company. Yeah, I'm gonna come at this from a different angle. I think the big enterprise level companies, if they're able to change their own culture. I think they can keep this business in oil and gas. And I think if they're not able to change their own culture, they're going to lose it. You know, I look at Microsoft. Microsoft lately is doing some really cool stuff. Their new CEO gets it, right? He took Office 365 and gave it to the world free on his cell phone. Why? Because he knows nobody's going to work on an Excel spreadsheet on their cell phone. But in the process of doing that, they passed up Google Docs as the most free used Office software. That was genius. I mean, Oil & Gas Global Network, we all use Office 365. It just works. It's There's no updates. There's no patches. There's no servers. It's software as a service. It's easy to administer. There's, there's so much cool stuff in there. And Microsoft used to be that big old ship. And so they're changing their culture to adopt. And so I think companies like that that will pull ahead. Now, I will agree. SAP and Oracle... I, I think the only thing that's keeping them in oil and gas right now is the fact that nobody wants to say they made a mistake by installing it to begin with. And they have millions and millions of dollars invested in that. And there's so many new technology companies that do the same stuff they do better, easier to understand. The user interfaces are better. So it's, it's going to be interesting. This is a good question because I think it's really a cultural question. The truth is most of the smaller tech companies what their product does, the problem that their, pro- their product solves, they solve it much better, much more intuitive than the big companies. But will the big companies change their culture so that they can keep up? We'll, we'll see. Yeah. And that wraps it up. Yep. I think we have a winner, Jake. So Who's the winner this week? The winner of our awesome Red Wing Offshore bag is Derek Lattimore with Shell as a mechanical design engineer. Congratulations, Derek. You have won this awesome Red Wing Offshore bag. All of your peers are going to be so jealous because we hear this all the time. If you would like to be Derek and have all your coworkers jealous of you, it's really simple. Go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Enter your information. We draw one lucky winner a week. No purchase necessary. See official site for rules and details. And a big shout out to David Studio. Emin over there at David Studio is kicking butt. He's our audio editor team member. He's the reason that we sound good now consistently. If you have a podcast or you think about having a podcast, reach out to David. Uh, he'll give you a discount. All you have to do is put OGGN in the beginning of the message, and he will fix you up. Jake, are we going to do a weekly rig count? Since we just did uh, yeah, show? why not? Yeah, so let's do it. Uh, it's uh, 1,010 rigs this week. All right, so we're doing okay. Uh, we'll see where this goes. I suspect the rig count will go up beginning of 2018. Uh, speaking of things going up, events on deck, 
We have Backpack to Briefcase Career Launch Workshop. I think this is really cool. So if you're a young person and you're just getting ready to graduate from college and you're looking at launching your career, uh, CPI Texas and Louisiana is running a pilot and they're going to help you do with a career workshop. It's free. It's all day long and they, they help you figure out how to interview, where to look to interview, how to get in front of people, how to dress, how to answer those hard questions, how to make sure your resume is spot on. And they're doing this for your charge. I think this is really cool. And then you have the Society of Petroleum Resource Economics, their fourth annual holiday season networking event. It's Thursday, December 21st. This is a bunch of basically financial geeks and oil and gas, and they're going to have a party. <laughs> and just the thought of that makes me laugh. But it's a good group. We've went to their uh, event several times. If you want to go check it out, you have to uh, register ahead of time. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes there. If you would like to learn more about geeky holiday parties and other stuff in the future, it's pretty simple. We take all the oil and gas events out there. We put them in one place, and we stick it in your box once a week, and we do it for free because we like you. You can sign up for our monthly email newsletter and get just that. And then if you're listening to this podcast and you enjoy it, you're listening to it as a family. You're a part of our community. This is your community. If you want to help us grow your community, do me a favor, share the show. Social media takes all three seconds to retweet this. All company email, uh, anybody that has an interest, please, please, please share the show. And then our 2017 On the Road sponsors, big shout out to Total Land, the world's most advanced field land management system, and Lee Heck Harrison, global experts in talent management. Without them, our travels for 2017 would not be possible. We're not going to have On the Road sponsors for 2018. We're going to have actual event sponsors. So we have a list of about 40 events that we're going to around the world in 2018. If you want to get your company's name, signage, people, because we'll take one of your people with us. In these events, it's uh, very, very productive for your for your dollars. Very good way to drive awareness, brand awareness, and sales leads. And it's actually much cheaper than being on a road sponsor. So reach out to me; I'd be happy to share the details. And then this was a first Friday Q and A. If you enjoyed it and you have a question, go to oilandgasthisweek.com, click Ask a Question, and give us your uh, whatever it is you're wondering about. We'll give you a big shout out like we gave everybody else on the show. And then while you're there, go ahead and give us your email address. We won't spam you. And the, everybody that gives us an email address will find out about the cool stuff we're doing first. If you don't want to be first and you want to be second, go to Oil and Gas Global Network LinkedIn group. That's where everybody will find out about the cool stuff we're doing second. Whew, a lot of stuff. Are you ready to get out of here, Jake? Let's do it, man. All right, folks. Remember, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil and Gas This Week podcast, a product of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.